Good morning, everyone. My name is Tyler, and I have the great privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor for Crossroads. Uh, I know some of you know me, some of you do not know I'm not just a homeless man that they pull in to do video announcements every once in a while. Uh, I'm a real person, and I actually work here. I'm actually on staff here, believe it or not. And I have the great privilege. Uh, thank you. I have the great privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. Uh, Every single week we do our best to tell Jesus stories, and the way that we do that is with the Bible. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it now. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have some in the back. Raise your hand, and someone will get a Bible to you, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it will not take but more than a couple pages of flipping through, and you'll end up at Genesis 4. I'm going to do my best to read it all the way through. Uh, reading for me is either really good or really bad. If in the first paragraph I start to fumble through it, then we know, hey, we're in for a rough ride along the way as we get to Genesis 4. If I make it to the first paragraph, no problem, then hey, we're probably going to be smooth sailing. Bear with me as there are some interesting names. Don't judge me because you don't know how to pronounce them either. We can fight afterwards about it. All right. But we are going to be in Genesis chapter 4. It says this, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what is it that you have done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city by his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mehuja, and Mehuja fathered Methusha. Uh, we can fight afterwards about names, all right? Don't worry. And Methusha fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. 
Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a younger man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and they called his name Seth. For she, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your words. And I pray this morning as we gather and we open and we read together, uh, you would illuminate yourself to us. Uh, Jesus, we submit to you. Help us to find you in these texts and help us to understand why this is good news from the start. Jesus, there is no one like you. There will never be anyone like you. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for that, we worship, sing your praises, Lord. We love you. We pray that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what it is you have for us this morning. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everyone says, amen. I don't know about you, but when I read that, and then I look at the screen behind me that says Genesis, good news from the start. There's a little bit of a battle that goes on within me. There's some tension that's there that I'm trying to navigate and mitigate. And I can't quite wrap my head around how a, brother, a story of Cain and Abel, one of which is taught even in Sunday schools at a young age. Don't worry, that's not what they're learning about today. But this is a lesson for those of us who grew up in the church. We have probably been taught this lesson from a young age, the murdering of a brother. And then we come to a series in Genesis where what we're doing is we're saying it is good news from the start. And there's going to be portions in here where as we read it, you're going to go, I'm excited to see how they teach this one. Good news from the start. I think of Pastor Sam even last week talking about the fall of Adam and Eve sinning against God and having to be pushed out of the garden. And for those of us who have read that story, we go, okay, I've heard that story, but how is this good news from the start? Every single week, what we want to do as we go through Genesis is tell you why this is good news. And in order to do that, sometimes we've got to go on a journey together. This morning, we're going to go on a journey together to discover why is it that Cain killing Abel is good news from the start. We see here the bloodshed of a brother, a brother that did not deserve it. And oftentimes we'll look at this and we say, this is the first murder to ever take place in the Bible. But if you remember in Genesis 3 last week, there was a unique story of Adam and Eve falling, eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened afterwards is they began to sow fig leaves together because they recognized their nakedness. And God comes along and covers them better. God actually gives them clothing, and in order to do that, there was a sacrifice made in the garden after the fall. Skins were made and sewn together by God to cover Adam and Eve. This was not the first sacrifice in the Bible. This is not the first bloodshed in the Bible, and it's important that we recognize and realize that the first sacrifice was made by God. Cain's sacrifice, why, why I'm telling you that is we see in here that Adam or Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice. It says an offering to the Lord. An offering was made to God. Cain brought things from the first fruits of the ground and Abel brought fatty portions from his livestock. What's fascinating as you do this is it's like, uh, how did they know to make offerings to God? 
Remember, Genesis, the rest of the law has not been written where it was told they had to make certain sacrifices at certain times. All of that has not been done. And me and Pastor Sam began to figure out, debate, talk about some of its speculation. How do you do that? Ultimately, I think we can look and see that God made the first sacrifice for man to cover them. Adam and Eve recognizes, realizes, they praise God for the, the firstborn son, They praise God for the second-born son, lifting praises to God, recognizing who he is, the position and title and authority that he holds, and probably have taught their kids about the sacrifice that God made. Showed them, talked to them about what it was like to walk in the cool of the day with God. But because of decisions, choices that were made, action was taken. But ultimately, the action that was taken was the slaughtering of an animal in the garden to cover Adam and Eve as they were pushed out of the garden because of the mercy of God. And Cain and Abel have heard this from children. As boys, they heard about this. And something within them makes them realize it is right for me to bring before God an offering, a sacrifice, something that shows he is worthy of that. So they do that with bringing some grain, some fruits, some vegetables, things from the ground, And then Abel brings an animal. You think the war between vegetarians and carnivores have been going on just for the past 10 years? Uh, let Let me remind you, Cain and Abel, it was the vegetarian and the meat eater. And they did not always agree or see eye to eye. Cain brings his sacrifice, his offering. Now I want to draw your attention to this word that's used. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, sometimes we'll read this and we will interchange it with this idea of, oh, in bringing this offering, the Lord accepted Cain's off- or Abel's offering and he rejected Cain and his offering. One was received and accepted. The other was rejected and pushed out. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. See, Cain brought an offering, but the Lord did not have regard for it. But it's important what he follows this with Cain and what the Lord tells Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Cain was not sinful in bringing this offering before God. He was not committing sin by presenting his offering to God. He was not in the right and his brother was in the wrong or vice versa. God says, if you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire, its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some terms as we go on this journey together. Um, But I think there's a lot of things that as we read the Bible, we look for practical ways that we can pull things out as we read a story. I don't know about you, but I read this and I go like, I don't want to be like Cain. Um, I want my offering to be accepted by the Lord. I want to be like an Abel. I want to present something and the Lord be like, I see you. Good job. I like that. I don't want to be Cain where it's like, yeah, no, dude, I'm not about that. Like, try again. Oh, like, I don't know. I don't like rejection probably just as much as everyone else here. I actively try to put myself in places when I, how I don't get rejected, all right? I don't want to be like Cain. I want to be like 
Abel. And therefore, I'll read this story and maybe I'll try and dissect and pick apart, okay, well, what is it that made Abel's offering accepted and, and Cain's not? And we begin to pull out and harvest meaning that's not there. But let me tell you, there can be principles that we can pull from it. There's principles to how we present even our lives as a living sacrifice, Romans tells us. There's principles that we can pull from this. I don't know, a lot of you probably have spouses. A lot of you probably have jobs. Some of you may have kids. Some of you may own businesses. Some of you may work for someone else. Uh, Can I tell you, the Bible has principles for us to follow in every area of those of how we should be presenting them to God as an offering, as a sacrifice, because he's worthy of our entire lives. Ephesians tells us, as husbands, we're to sanctify our wives to present them blameless before God. To view our wife as an offering before God, watching out, covering her, making sure she is shielded from danger, from wicked things in the world. It's our job to do that so that we can present them before God blameless. There's principles in here about how we present God with offerings. As a wife, there's principles in here of how you should protect, cover, watch out for your husband. As children, there's principles in here. As business owners, there's principles in here. As workers, there is principles in here. Ultimately, we do everything to the glory of God. Do everything unto God. And that's why we say, let everything that we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. But what's funny here is we'll look at the principle and we'll try and pull that out. Uh, And let me remind you the story we're reading. It's Cain and Abel. Okay, quick refresher. Abel presents a good offering. God has regard for it. Cain presents a bad offering or a wrong. I don't want to say bad offering. It has no regard. I'll say that because that's what the Bible says. It has no regard. Abel's has regard. Abel, good. Cain, hey, needs some work. You know what Abel got at the end of this? Murdered. Okay. All right. So if you want to pull some biblical principles out of this, Man, I want to present a good offering before God because what we say is, if I do that, the Lord will have regard for me. And we associate that as there will be prosperity for me. Am I the only one? Like, I'll try and find those principles so that it's like, how will this work out for my good? How can I be like Abel? God will have regard for my sacrifice because in doing so, God will bless me. And blessing, a lot of times in our culture, means prosperity. Given things, you will be rewarded. Let me remind you, Abel's reward, murdered by his brother. Dead. And all of a sudden you go, you know what, maybe I don't want to be Abel. (laughs) Let me, Lord, let me just rethink all of this offering, sacrifice, presenting everything to you because I'm actually doing it for myself, um, not because I actually think you're worthy and praiseworthy and glorious. See, what we do as we move forward is there's these terms that we all do. We just don't realize there's a word for it, okay? So let me let you in on some of the words. Uh, There's this idea of exegesis, okay? It's a weird word. You've maybe heard it a couple times. What it is is it's pulling out from the text, mainly a biblical text, but it also is used in secular cultures. It's pulling out of the text what the text actually means. 
as pastors, as teachers, we do our best exegesis for you. We try and pull out what the text is actually saying. But also, we try and make it relevant. We try and make it presentable to you of how does this actually pertain to your life? How is this good news from the start? Recognizing that if you see this as good news, it will change your life. But it doesn't stop there. Okay, there's, there's some other terms I want you to be aware of for your own sake. Exegesis would be pulling out from the text what the text actually means, the importance of the text. But there's this other term, eisegesis. Eisegesis is when someone decides to put their own meaning into a text. I'm sure none of you have ever heard this done before. Anyone who's been in church for any sort of time, you can begin to see when sometimes someone will teach you something and then you read the text that they're talking about and you're like, that's a stretch. <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced that before where they'll say something and you go like, I don't know if that's necessarily what that means. And then it goes even further to this other term of, of narcissus. Okay, now you could probably surmise what that is. It's when not only do I make the text say something that it's not supposed to, but I make it about me. The story is about me. We say this sometimes. We're like, hey, if you ever read David and Goliath, all of us, again, all of us probably have heard some sort of tale of David and Goliath, some sort of version of it. Ultimately, it was a story in the Bible. And what we do is we want to teach biblically about David and Goliath. And we want you to be presented with what the text is actually trying to tell you. But the danger, the risk, the temptation is to then to try and make you into the story. We do this on a personal level when we read the Bible, but it's also done in settings like this. Where let me tell you how you can have victory over the Goliaths in your life. And we go like, yes, please. Like, I want to know that. All the while we're not realizing. You know what that actually says? You are David. I don't know about you. I'm like, I like the sound of that. And then I have to come to realize that, no, no, actually, I'm like the Philistines in the background, like scared. Like, I'm David's brothers talking all the trash. But then when Goliath comes out, it's like, no way, dude, I'm out. Like, good. And then it's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you can't do that. David being Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, there's no way you could overcome that. Like, get back there. Like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing sticking your neck out there? Not realizing that Jesus is David and actually is the one conquering the giants for me. See, we can have exegesis that is actually the meaning of the text. We can have eisegesis or we pull all of these wonderful scriptures together. And let me tell you how blessing in your life is going to come if you make offering. And then we have narcissus of where the story's actually all about me. But let me tell you, when I read Cain and Abel, we are forced with the realization of we can present offerings to God, have regard in God's life. And what does Abel get? He gets murdered. And why is that good news? Again, all of this series is about good news from the start. When we try and put ourselves in the story, when you try and figure out, am I Abel? Am I Cain? Is, is what I'm doing pleasing to God or is it not regarded by God? And again, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't do that also. I find myself falling into the same trap. That's why it's so important when we come here 
as pastors and teachers, we do our best to tell you what the text is actually trying to say. And why is it that this is called the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ? The good news isn't you're the hero of the story. The good news is Jesus is the hero of the story. And we do our best to convey that every time we are up here. See, the important thing to realize is the slaughtering of the animal that Abel brought. Cain bringing his offering having no regard. But then Jesus, before this, before they're even alive, before Cain and Abel are even born, slaughters an animal to cover Adam and Eve. A blood sacrifice. Pastor Sam was even talking about it today as we were doing communion, this blood sacrifice. Let me help bring some clarity. A little sigh of relief for the room. This is what we've all been waiting for. The turning point, the crux. We've reached the climax and now it's like, where's he going with this? Like, I don't understand murder. Good news. Like, explain it to me. I will explain it to you in one verse. This comes from Hebrews 13, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood that was sprinkled, and it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood that was sprinkled, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What happened when Abel was murdered? Judgment was brought down on Cain. Condemnation was brought down on Cain. He was pushed out even further from the garden. Cain kills Abel. We see the rest of Genesis 4 tells us how evil increases throughout all the land. Sons of his and grandsons would even say, if I'm proud that I killed someone. Cain doesn't have remorse. He is afraid. He tells God, this is too great for me to bear. I'm going to be killed myself. What's so amazing is we would say a life for a life. If you kill someone, you have to be killed. And what does God do? He does something radically different. And Cain goes, they're going to kill me. He's like, actually, I'm going to put a mark on you to make sure no one touches you. You will commit murder. And in return, you will be cast out, but you will not be touched at all. And this is too great for Cain to bear. And grandsons of Hid would even proclaim, if Cain's was sevenfold, then mine is 77-fold. The murder of Abel brings death, destruction, and evil increase all throughout the land. What does Jesus' sacrifice bring? Grace, mercy, forgiveness, redemption. Cain did not deserve to be murdered. Or Abel did not deserve to be murdered. He was unjustly killed by his brother Cain. And the blood that was shed that cried out from the ground to God brought condemnation and judgment on Cain. The good news, this is a foreshadow of the blood that was shed that speaks a better word. Jesus' blood was shed, an innocent man unjustly murdered and killed. And because of that bloodshed, not condemnation, but redemption was brought to all humanity and all who seek it. Jesus' sacrifice brings grace and redemption to all of us. The blood of Abel, Cain is condemned. The blood of Jesus, we are all redeemed. 
Abel, a man unjustly murdered. Jesus, a man unjustly murdered, but a worthy sacrifice for our covering. And then we come to the crux also. We wrestle with the question, was I actually worth it? When we hear the good news of Jesus, a man, not just a man, but also God in the flesh, unjustly murdered, and blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins, and then we come to this place of, is it actually, am I worthy of that? See, some of us reject the good news of Jesus because of our own self-worth. We go, I don't know if I'm actually worth that. I don't know if Jesus made a mistake. Let me tell you a parable. It's not my parable, but it's a parable of Jesus. This is found in Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And in his joy, he goes, he sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value went, sold all that he had and bought it. Again, I want to remind us of these terms we learned earlier, exegesis, what the text actually means, eisegesis, inserting my own meaning into the text, narcegesis, which is making the text actually all about me. Now, let me tell you, this text has a meaning. There's purpose as to why Jesus said this, believe it or not, all right? But what we tend to do, what I've tended to do sometimes, is I read this, and I begin to try and locate where am I in the story. Let me tell you the common misconception, myself included. I'm the dude looking for the pearl of great value, that pearl of great value being God. And when I find it, I get rid of everything that I have. I wipe the slate clean so that I can have that pearl. Or I'm the man searching for the treasure. This is like the early child, like the Goonies fans in us are like, yes, like that's me, dude. Like I'm chonk, okay? Like I am looking for treasure. And when I find it, I give everything away so that I can have it. Let me tell you the implications of that. Just like we saw with Cain and Abel, I want my offering to be presented before God and accepted because I think it will bring prosperity when we read the text, Abel gets murdered. The implications of thinking you are the man, you are the woman looking for the treasure and when you find it, you give everything. All right, so is, is God hidden from us? Like, does God actively try and be like, oh, thank you, found, oh, oh, like, oh, like, is he treasure that's been hidden away from us and we have to go on this search to find it and do this work and labor in order to find God? And then when we find him, do we actually give everything over to him? Or are there some maybe people that have been following Jesus for a long time that we go like, you know, I still actually struggle with giving everything to God. Like there's some areas where I go like, God, yeah, no, this is for you. And then there's other areas where we go like, oh, maybe not quite yet. Like, budget was tight this month, God. Like, I think I might hold on to that this time. Do we actually give everything to God? No, we don't. Does God hide himself from us? Let me remind you the story of Adam and Eve. Upon sinning, realizing their nakedness, they hear God coming. And what does the text say? They hid themselves from God. What does it say Cain did? He hid himself from God. So I think we need to have, 
an honest conversation and realizing where is it that I am in this story? As hard as it may be for you to admit, you are the hidden treasure. You are the pearl of great value that when God finally found you, after you were done hiding yourself from God in shame and embarrassment, and when he finds you, he is willing to sell everything. The whole story of Genesis is about God trying to restore relationship with his creation. And the good news of Jesus is he was the sacrifice that was able to make it possible. We are the hidden treasure. We are the pearl of great value that God deems worthy to get rid of everything for. Why do we have this value? Because that's the other question, right? We could go like, okay, that's it. That I understand like, okay, whatever. I'm the pearl of great value. But why are you valuable? Is it because of something you bring to the table? Hmm? It's because you did so many things? Is it because you're able to have regarded sacrifices, offerings to God? Is that, is that what makes you valuable? We go back to Genesis. Why is this good news from the start? Genesis tells us that God made man his, in his own image. I had my wallet on me earlier and I took it off. I like strip everything out of my pocket so my phone doesn't buzz and I don't get weighted down. But I had money in my wallet, believe it or not. Most of the time I don't, um, but I did today. And I was thinking, what makes money so valuable? Like, how do we establish value to money? Oftentimes, you can pull it out, and you just look at who's on it. If you see Benjamin Franklin, it's like, dude, you're, you're rolling deep, dude. Like, I want to be friends with you, okay? Like, you see Benjamin Franklin, you're like, chink, valuable. Like, not just the money, but the person, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Benjamin Franklin, high value, okay? Just by whose face is on the money, we associate value to it. We understand the value of money based on who we see. Genesis tells us that God made man in his own image. Why are you so valuable to God? Why are you the treasure that was hidden that he's willing to sell everything for? Because in the beginning, God created us. He set us apart, made us different than any other creature. He made us in his own image. In his image, we were created, man and woman. God is willing to do anything to have relationship back with the beings that he created in his own image. There's something precious about a parent and the love of a child because it's a part of you, something that you can't even begin to explain. And God says, I'll do anything. I'll get rid of it all. I'll make the sacrifice in the garden to cover you, knowing that that would not do the job. It would not suffice. It would not be enough. But God was still willing to sacrifice an animal, slaughter an animal in the garden that he created to cover the creation that was made in his own image, foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus that would be worthy, acceptable, and able to cover all past, present, and future sins. We are made in the image of God. We have value, not because of what we do, 
Not because of what we bring to the table, but because of whose image we bear. Why is Cain and Abel good news? Because Abel's blood cried out condemnation. Jesus' blood brought redemption. We are worthy of that redemption because we are great value in God's eyes. And why are you valuable? Because of whose image you bear. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you for the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks that's able to cover past, present, and future sins. Where Abel being murdered brought condemnation to all. The fall of Adam and Eve separating us from the presence of God. And then we come to Jesus. Your son who paid the price, the ultimate price, as the worthy sacrifice that would be able to bring us in right relationship with you. We thank you, Lord. Help us to realize the value we have, not because of what we do, but because of whose image we bear. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen.